Welcome to the Shelf Warmers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, and their connection to bigger topics. I'm your co-host Sugu, and tonight we're going to talk about artificial intelligence. And I'm your co-host Darby, and we're going to talk about the Supreme Court. Question. begin by way of introduction i'm darby harn a freelance writer and editor and an independent author publishers weekly called my novel ever the hero an entertaining debut which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics and an alternate america you can find more information about me and my books at darbyharn.com i'm also on twitter at darby harn and i'm sugu your co-host i work in it and education and i'm also passionate about writing and story you can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Tonight, we're going to talk about AI and how it influences art. So this whole thing started, uh, I'm not actually sure, because it's been on my mind for a while. Um, as part of my job, I, I work in, or I pay attention to this kind of stuff. So uh, what kicked it off for you was it the twitter thread or what uh yeah what what started off well like you said this has been a conversation slash concern in our artistic circles for a little bit but what really triggered this sort of and this is a rapidly evolving um situation rapidly evolving um is uh, what really triggered this in the last couple of weeks is the advent of an app called Linza, which more than the other one, there's been a few, right, in succession. Uh, Mid-Journey sort of emerged over the summer. But Linza, more than the other ones, for someone for some reason uh, caught on and really ramped up and then tipped over into... Um, widespread concerns um, about art theft, displacement of artists, diminishment of artists, diminishment of labor, which were then immediately justified by, we're going to talk about this as we go forward, Tor Books, a major publisher, science fiction and fantasy, acknowledging that the cover for Christopher Paolini's upcoming novel, Fractal Noise, uh, was in fact uh, created using AI-generated art. That was just the other day. And we'll talk about that as we, as we, and their acknowledgement and response and the utter tone deafness that followed uh, as we go forward maybe, but um, I think it's fascinating because I, I'm as an artist, I'm fascinated slash concerned by AI. I think there's a lot of different ways and in, in, in points of view that a person can can take on it. Um, its impact on art itself is concerning. Um, 
it also has potentially interesting possibilities which are worth considering um, in terms of art. It's a tool, as are other tools uh, that we've that we use. Um, but the most I think the the biggest concern about it, obviously, is um, the impact it has on because of what it does like Linza you pop any image into Linza and it generates or mid journey it generates this very you know very robust very um, unique image that can be a couple different things it can be very it can seem very realistic it can be hard to tell that it's not realistic or it can be very fantastical depending on what your inputs are and it can generate something which looks very good from a design standpoint um, because it's ripping from very good sources mm -hmm. and producing something which is a synthesis uh, of those sources. Um, and if you're Tor or if you're anyone else you can go to Linza. I think Linza, there's a fee for Linza. I don't know what it is for the app. You can pay the fee, I suppose, to use Linza. I think there's problems with this, which we'll talk about too, in terms of use. You could pay that very modest fee comparatively, as opposed to paying a, a proper artist their proper fee, which in some cases could be hundreds or certainly thousands of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. That's concerning from the visual standpoint, which is kind of where AI is most active and threatening now. But then there's also, it is also uh, poised um, to be a concern on the, the writing side, the creative writing side. And there's a whole rack of arts and disciplines that are threatened by AI, just as every... Uh, Every every discipline you can think of are always threatened by advancements in technology and automation, right? So mm -hmm. in some ways, this is not a new problem, but this is a very new tool, which has lots of lots of considerations to it. But yeah, so what are, what are you thinking about all this stuff? The cat's out of the bag, uh, <laughs> quite simply, like. It, that that's that's it that's the end of it right the issue now is that the laws need to catch up and society kind of needs to to catch up to what ai is and whether we value it um to me i've got a i've got an issue with the business and the law side of it as opposed to the tool side of it um, which is that recent court decisions have said that um, AI-generated art is not copyrightable um, until it is, quite honestly. It's, <laughs> it, it isn't until it is. And, you know, what, what you were saying, the recent tour example, that's going to really pressure the courts to suddenly make AI copyrightable in the favor of Tor, in the favor of these mega corporations so well, that they can keep the profit. So, I doubt that 
just for a couple of reasons. Let's talk about tour real quick. Um, on that front, because I think I'm tour is the tour situation is curious to me. Um, so tour announced on the 15th, we're recording this on December 17th that, um, in a tweet that they've since turned the comments off on. <laughs> so tour tour books announced on the 15th, December 15th, that they, during the process of creating the cover for fractal noise by Christopher Paulini, um, they licensed an image from a reputable stock house. This is their this is their statement on Twitter. We were not aware that the image may have been created by AI. Our in-house designer used the licensed image to create the cover, which was presented to Christopher for approval, throwing Christopher under the bus here. Due to production constraints, we have decided to move ahead with our current cover. Tor Publishing Group has championed creators in the SFF science fiction fantasy community since our founding and will continue to do so. So this <laughs> triggered an immediate reaction amongst uh, the writers and such on Twitter. Here's the thing. A couple things. Number one. Um... They used a license, they licensed an image from a reputable stock house, which comes with licensing things to it. So they don't own the image, but they are paying a, 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 a stock house. This could be a couple different places um, to for the commercial use of that image. OK, and you have to pay for it. So. Some so you can't just go to one of these places and download an image and then replicate it. If you want to use it for any commercial purposes, including print, ebooks, t-shirts, whatever, you have to pay for that. So these these stockhouses are now using AI generated, which they're they're there's now not paying for themselves, and also I assume are just scraping the internet for. Um. They used the they used the image to create the cover. They weren't aware of it initially. They became aware of it, but quote due to production constraints unquote, they've decided to move ahead with our current cover. Now the book does not come out until May sixteenth, twenty twenty three, but they're going to stick with the cover. I don't know that I would have said that, or if I would have, I certainly would have wouldn't have stuck with it. Uh, and then tours champion creators in the SFF community. Um, I don't know, honestly, to be completely blunt, I don't know how you're championing creators in the community when when you're 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 making this sort of stand. Um, you don't want to pay for an original cover, I'm assuming. You certainly have time to change it, right? Um, is it already been printed? Possibly, you don't, you know, you don't want to destroy a bunch of books. Possibly, they don't say that. But I don't, is that is that standing? Is that championing creators by saying that we're going to use? Well, how can it, you know? Is on it for in Taurus defense? How can you know if you're using if you're licensing images? How can you know where they're coming from? But at the same time. How can you justify championing creators when 
you're gonna you're gonna stand by this cover. Well, it actually gets worse because Tor is just one example, but the one that I was actually thinking about was there was a recent court case where you had a painter uh, who painted a self-portrait on, let me, I believe it was acrylic on canvas. And someone took the, took a digital photograph of it, right? Like something that was on social media. Here's what I painted they made an AI version of it and it, it's an almost one-to-one replica of it, but now generated by AI, mm-hmm. the painter sued for, you know, intellectual property, IP rights, copyright. And the courts have deemed it invalid that the case had no standing because the AI is not copyrightable. I mean, that's, that screwed yeah. over the artist right there. That was one court case. It's only going to be a matter of time before it screws over everyone else in in every direction. Yeah, that. Yeah, and that that's very concerning because the as I said in the chat, the the advance of technology is very fast and the law mm-hmm. is slow. And that's not going to get any better, at least here in the States. I'll talk about that because we're going into a period of divided government. So the Republicans are going to take over the House in January and Democrats will remain in control in the Senate and the White House. There will be nothing that happens on this. Well, they'll take control in the the next two years. Before they had just. Democrats are main. No, they're they're maintaining control in the Senate. Um, they're, They're increasing their margins in the Senate. Um, the So nothing will happen on that front um, here in the States in the next two years. And you can just write off the next five years, actually. Um, that's very concerning, especially because there is, there's a lot of need for to address this topic because AI as a tool, especially in its primary method, primary utility, is in is is in its function for mega corporations, mm-hmm. and these are some of the biggest corporations in the world, including Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, and Tesla, Apple, and others, which are all developing and using right now AI. Mm-hmm. Um, the they're using it as an economic tool, and that it's it, its practicality is going to allow them to to. Um, as Tor did with this image, get around ultimately paying people and using people um, to produce art. And that's that's very problematic, especially when, you know, artists are generally underpaid. The, the, the biggest challenge of the, the people who are, people are gonna use this on every scale. Let me back up a minute and just say that. The AI application, because it does produce art, which is, can be very good because it because it's scraping from very good sources. Um, in the independent publishing field has as many concerns as it does in the traditional one, uh, because um, one of the biggest challenges in the independent publishing field is that nobody has money. <laughs> And you can't afford often to get a great cover or even a good cover. 
and it costs a lot of money to to get one from uh, to 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 buy or to work with an artist to develop an original cover, which is one reason why you see so many places online. If you're an independent artist, your first thing, well, not your first thing, but one of the first things is, <laughs> what am I going to do about the cover? And so early on in your struggle, you go into Google and you're like, you know, covers. And one thing that'll pop up immediately is you have all these people who are offering a, a stock cover for sale for your ebook, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're generally... I'll just say, in my experience, the generally very bad Photoshop blah. And you see a lot of that. Well, now you can go to Linza, insert here, and get yourself a, a good cover. And you won't really have to pay anything for it. So as a practical thing, you're going to, you're going to be motivated to do that if you have no money. Well, that directly impacts actual proper artists who also shockingly don't have any money because we we live in a capitalist society which doesn't reward people properly and it's always 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 um short-changed artists mm-hmm. so technology so technology is you know uh, only contributes to that is what i'm trying to say um so in, in in the and, but I see just from the independent standpoint, I I understand why people who have no money and have no means are going to be drawn to this. They're going to run in. They're going to run into problems though, which is the 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 fair use of it. I I don't know all the ins and outs of things like Linza and Midjourney. I don't use them, so I don't know. I do know that Lin, from other people that Linza, as its terms of service. As, as a condition of using it, you surrender irrecoverably, irrecoverably is the word, uh, all rights to the images in perpetuity. So your ability to use that in any way commercially, I think, is probably jeopardized, I would think. Um, that's also problematic because people are insert, are putting their own selfies, their own image into it. They're putting images of, of actors and actresses and public figures into it whose images they don't own. This gets into fair use. Mm-hmm. What is the fair use? This gets into copyright. Um, copyright in the United States when it comes to intellectual property is absolute except for things like fair use. What is fair use? That has become a real battleground, right? Uh, in, in an era where you or I can go on Real quick, because it's so funny, your man, Donald Trump, the other day, as his major announcement, uh, is selling NFTs of his of himself that are fo- his head photoshopped on astronauts and cowboys and, and, and superheroes for $99 a pop. Anybody on Twitter, everybody on Twitter, right-clicked on the image and then shared it freely and saved it to their computer, mm-hmm. right? Thus undermining its value. It has no value, obviously, because it's it's Donald Trump. Um, but what's fair use? Fair, you know, where where are those lines? Where do you draw them? And things like the court case you mentioned with the artist who's already lost 
control of her own personal image, her own art, the 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 court seems to think that well it does you know fair use I I don't know I don't know the in the ins and outs of their decision evidently that you know the the, the her art is fair use because she put it on the internet and a lot of the terms and serve service the reason that AI was able to scrape her art was because it was on the internet a lot of the terms of service are basically when it comes to things like Instagram is when you put it on there you're basically surrendering some or all control of it it's you know it gets into you know what are we doing what are we doing on the internet well you know this comes into several things that i've said for a long time and i've i even try to teach my students this as well like in a capitalist society everything becomes a commodity like literally everything there is no limit there's no depths that people will sink to sell whatever right um <laughs> you don't own your own dna how crazy is that conceptually right obviously the yeah. dna that's in your body that you own but the tools to analyze it once you submit your dna to those companies they own your dna they own the analysis from it like like the ancestry.com and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And th again, there have been court cases about this. The other thing that Wait. I wanted to mention before we get too far away from it is a friend of mine uh, was on Instagram uh, before Facebook took over. Um, so Instagram, when it was uh, its own independent thingamajigger. Uh, was on there and signed that terms of service that you were alluding to earlier. And because it's a friend of mine living in Japan, they used Instagram as a way to update the family on, like update the extended family or the, the parents back in America on her life. Right? Makes sense. Remember back in the day when I first moved to Japan, I had a website that I had photos on there, right? Makes mm. sense. People do this. Well, she created an Instagram account so that she could share pictures of her family, of, of her kids with her family back home. Instagram saw one of her pictures of her daughter, an underage minor, I believe an elementary student at the time, if not even kindergarten. Um, it was a really cute photo there was a butterfly that had just landed on her shoulder um but you could see her face clearly and you could see the butterfly right it's a cute photo but also slightly artistic instagram took that and sold it to advertisers so they were using that picture to make money for instagram and they did not need my friend's permission because that was part of the terms of service. Yeah. You're a content provider. Right. Even yeah. unwittingly. Yeah. So, I mean, on a, like, to me, that's a horrifying story because you're, you're talking about underage minors. The nice yes. part that happened to me 
was I took a picture of Wrigley Field on my road trip. You remember my big old road trip uh, a couple years back? Um, mm-hmm. I took a picture of Wrigley Field. I was in Chicago. And at the same time, it was this advertisement for United Airlines that was scrolling by on the ticker tape. Well, I just mm-hmm. happened to catch it, Wrigley Field, and then it said United on the ticker tape. So it has this like, oh, we are Americans and we're all together, right? Under Wrigley Field or baseball brings us some, some platitudinal message. Well, a company contacted me and asked if they could use it for their own promotion. I'm like, yeah, sure. That's fine. I think I posted that photo on Flickr. They were never going to pay me for it. Like if I had said something like, uh, you know, if you want to use it, that's fine, but you got to pay me. They would have been like, oh, no, it's fine. We don't need to pay you for it. Now with AI in the mix, who's to say they can't just recreate the image as they need and say mine was just the inspiration. And that that's the thing, right? With AI, one, one thing that's happening this week that I think is also fascinating is people's reactions to it. There seem to be a couple different reactions, but the main one is that this fear that AI is learning and is going to come online and Skynet is going to nuke us. Singularity. That's not quite, it's not quite what's happening. AI is only as good as the people who program it. And what they're programming it for is what you just said, which is that it's to take, to acquire, and to then uh, repurpose. So these things that are that Lenza and these things are doing, they're just they're just combining and they're, they're just scraping. And it, it's a tool that doesn't really have any intelligence because all of its inputs are provided. It's not AI as you fear it from science fiction. It's not the Terminator. It's not well, Skynet. It's not. It's not uh, the guy, your guy whose name I'm blanking on from 2001. Well, to Hell. that, though, there is something, at least the, I've talked with um, Japanese engineers here, uh, AI mm. specifically. Um, we had a seminar to, to teach our students about uh, the upcoming AI. And there is a concept called the singularity. And yes. that is the point where AI... Um, will meet the intelligence level of humans, the collected, uh, the collective intelligence uh, at the human level. It is still theoretical. It is still uh, in the future, but it isn't, it isn't Terminator level. It isn't Skynet level, but the concept is still that the collected information that an AI can hold will uh, meet and then exceed uh, the capacity of humans. This subject is very fascinating to me, and I feel like we'll probably spin out into a different thread uh, regarding it uh, as we go forward here. But um, the thing that I think is most fascinating to me as an artist and as just as a person about this concept of the singularity and the the uh, the idea that AI will resemble slash replicate us and certainly surpass us, the thing I think is most fascinating about it is that it's a very human centric idea. 
it assumes a lot of things. It assumes that artificial intelligence will evolve along human lines. It assumes that artificial intelligence will consider human qualities at all. Um, and that when it develops consciousness, which is the fear that we all have, that that consciousness will resemble ours. We don't understand anything about consciousness in human beings. It's very unlikely that we would recognize consciousness in machines slash artificial beings, and certainly that they would recognize it in us. Um, those are fascinating sort of questions and challenges and thoughts that I think about a lot. I'm interested in the concept of AI as a creative person, as a science fiction nerd. These concepts are present in my books. I alluded to them briefly last week on our episode, talking about trunk novels and my upcoming novel. It deals with AI very, very, very big way. But that's assuming a lot of things. But at the same time, all of these programs that we're talking about today in the main uh, that are, are, that are uh, threatening the livelihood of people and artists are designed by people to do just that. They're designed to threaten the livelihood of real people because corporations, individuals, don't want to pay a living wage. They don't want to pay anybody, anything, ever, mm-hmm. because they resent labor and the progress of technology has always been come at the expense of labor and of, of, of working people because it, it's only about production and efficiency and machines are always going to be more efficient than people because they, they can produce much faster. And as machines get more advanced and smarter in some cases, People become unnecessary. We just sent the Artemis One rocket to the moon without a crew. Now, we had done that with Apollo, right, where we launched uncrewed things, but people are, there's no human factor in what we're doing in space. There's very little human factor in what we're doing on assembly lines. And now in the creative space, the part of us which is most human and most unique is now threatened by by AI. Not not the existence of AI. Not the existence of it, but by its use, by bad actors. You know, I mean it's AI is a tool that I think does have interesting applications in an artistic way. Maybe we can talk about. Um, but the biggest but people, corporations don't want to pay we talked about this in the chat, don't want to pay people. And so they won't. And now they won't have to, in some cases, and on the artistic side. And when it comes to the the writing side, the publishing side, I think that's where things get interesting. And I have thoughts on that, too. Well, one thing um, (laughs) to our audience, uh, I apologize, we keep mentioning our chat which you, the audience, have no idea what we're talking about. Um, but basically, we had we had chatted about this, and uh, we're bringing you the highlights. But um, one thing that you had mentioned in this chat that I think is uh, kind of the, the proof of concept, right, is that Twitter thread where the guy had documented his writing a children's book 
all through <laughs> AI. Writing, yeah. Everything. <laughs> Color, uh, cover art. I mean, that's the question. You put that in quotes, but that is the question. Did he write it? Because uh, he did program the AI to do the work for him. So what part is he contributing to that or not? I don't know. And the courts are not going to be able to decide this anytime soon. And the only people that are going to win out when the courts eventually do decide are going to be these mega corporations who have the ability to fund all of the lawsuits. You see this in everywhere now. Um, The most famous one is Disney's copyright lawsuits where the result of it has been this extent, this perpetual extension of copyright ownership. Like (laughs) it, it, and I have so many thoughts about everything you just said. Let me start. I'll go backwards. Let me start with Disney. Disney is maybe where for folks concerned about copyright and IP and intellectual property is maybe where this gets most interesting. It's, I find it hard to imagine that a scenario in which Disney allows their IP to be threatened by AI in any way. Mm-hmm. So but only Disney, their which, IP. Well, to the benefit of other people, uh, other you know, other people owning owning IP, um, individuals and corporations. I would think um, everybody benefits from Disney's actions in this space in the last what 40 years um but that including uh authors this this there's a there is a trickle down effect to their their elongation of the copyright uh that's interesting because i would say that their actions have actually hurt people more than helped it's prevented these works from going into the public domain but they're extending the lifespan of copyright, which for some particular authors and people who, who own these IPs, um, whatever they may be, movies, books, what have you, that can be very lucrative, certainly to their, their families, right, going into the future. Um, but, but I think Disney is, because they are so active, and they are single-handedly responsible for United States copyright law being what it is in the modern day. It, it I find it unlikely that they would allow any AI to scrape anything having to do with their IP, and they would destroy any attempt to do so. And they would be very motivated to protect, insulate IP from being uh, absorbed in this way, which would lead to trickle-down effects for other creators. That's my feeling. Um, Because right now you have today, anybody can put Mickey Mouse into Linza and produce AI art, which they can sell. And we've actually talked about this on the pod before. You have an entire economy that is based around selling uh, products and objects using licensed copyrighted material which you don't own Bobby Skullface is making what was it curtains or towels or something of using transformers uh, art uh, things like that you have but everybody he did draw the art like he actually did he drew draw. it he drew it as many people do 
that create original art based on licensed characters that they haven't licensed that they then sell. You see this at comic book shows all the time, right? Mm-hmm. People are, are drawing uh, art of uh, characters and things like that, that they, that they don't own that in its, in its base form is copyright infringement. Disney, Hasbro, et cetera, generally don't go after these people because there's no fiduciary financial reason to do so, right? You, you would spend more in court costs than you would ever get out of it, right? So they allow this on a low level, right? But on the AI front, that becomes threatening, right? Because let, let's someone puts Mickey Mouse into Linza and Linza's like, I own Mickey Mouse. You know, because terms of service, right? Whatever mm-hmm. you put in here, I own. And Disney's like, not really. Now I destroy you, or more likely, I buy you, Linza. Because the reality is, is that Disney is already using AI to their own benefit. They're using something called respeecher. Do you know what this is, Sugu? Is this the database of faces? Not faces, but voices. Um, okay. They, so James Earl Jones retired from voicing Darth Vader. James is, I think, 91. <laughs> it's hard to imagine. But um, so he is no longer voicing Darth Vader. Darth Vader, of course, appeared in Obi-Wan Kenobi over the summer. Um, and so did James Earl Jones. But that wasn't James Earl Jones. That was a program. And the way that it works is they they dumped all of James Earl Jones recorded everything ever into a computer, into an AI called Respeecher, mm-hmm. which then outputs back out whatever they want. And they, they used this. They had Hayden Christensen, who plays Anakin, recorded his lines as Vader. And then that was outputted through Respeecher as James Earl Jones, which is why you got such a, I thought, a very good very accurate performance but it was generated by ai yeah that's the one that fascinating as that a tool they have uh, a database of faces based on their old movies that's how they could use um uh tarkin peter christian tarkin the actor peter christian that's it um that's why they could use his face de-aged that's why uh, Marvel could use Robert Downey Jr. de-aged. They have this collection of faces that they've used, which, uh, I mean, we're one step away from, actually, we're already here, aren't we? Where they can just create, uh, cast any actor and then put whatever face is already in their library over that actor. They... I don't know what they have in terms of a library of faces. I do know that they had to, they have to get uh, permission from the estate when it came to Peter Cushing and then to Carrie, uh, Carrie Fisher, they had to get permission from the estate to use their likeness because they don't own their likeness. This Mm -hmm. goes into another thing, which is another major area in U S copyright law, which is name image likeness which for sports fans is a major, major thing in collegiate sports right now because until just recently, collegiate athletes, specifically in football, did not own, did not have any uh, ownership stake and certainly got no financial uh, income from their, their own image, which colleges were free to use to generate 
millions of dollars in revenue well now they own their own image and likeness which is worth millions of dollars you own your image and you own your likeness this is another battleground for ai which is going to get ugly um because if you don't own your likeness then there is no then you own nothing <laughs> right so you know so i mean but that's, that, that's, a, we're that's going a part towards, of it though that is late stage is. capitalism where you it don't is. own anything it is you don't own anything and and you're just a consumer um who I mean, can't afford Bryce, anything because you you're not being paid a living wage incident monsanto yeah you remember that that incident I'm blanking on it right now. Okay, so Monsanto is one of the world's largest providers of seeds, basically, of agricultural yes, yes. crops. Yeah. So one of the ways that they are able to do that is through genetic modification. Their seeds all have a Monsanto copyright due to their genetic modification. Well, where this gets into trouble are neighboring farms. There was a lawsuit where Monsanto grew some crops. The wind blew those seeds over into a neighbor's farm because it's life and nature. Those seeds planted, sprouted, and then grew. Well, Monsanto sued that neighboring farm for their crop because they own that crop. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is late stage capitalism and like, I don't know. To me, this is dystopian as well. Oh, very dystopian. It's. And uh, Ancestry, no, 23andMe, I think it is. They own your DNA uh, if you use their services. Like you don't own anything we are fast approaching that life how many people in america can now buy their own home i mean, even with a bank well, right certainly. Like it's you're you're certainly. renting now it's you say late stage capitalism i, I, th I think i think of it as end stage capitalism we're, we're rapidly yeah. approaching what is going to be the end of of whatever form it's in now because it's unsustainable and it's unsustainable for a lot of reasons um, which have to do with external and you know internal factors but um, it the the most insidious part of capitalism has going back to the beginning has always been the concept of ownership and we've we've abolished the concept of slavery in the United States but not really because you just transfer that to other things. I own your DNA. I own your likeness. I own your intellectual product. Right? You, I own you. I own your, I own everything you generate physically and mentally. You know? Yeah, and just to be clear, slavery was abolished only in name, not in practice. Because there is that one exception that was written in the abolishment. Yeah, I mean, the... The concept of capitalism is, you know, a lot of people, you know, the, the term wage slave is no, used I don't mean that. often. No, I know. I know that. I, I mean, what I'm trying to say is that 
you can argue whether or not the concept or, or the you know whether or not it it, it ever stopped you know the, it's it's always existed the, the the concept from the very beginning is it just evolves and morphs you know it's just it's you just put a different name on it you change the rules or you change the the boundaries or you change the whatever you turn the page on the calendar you just but you're just it's just a different you know indentured servitude slavery you know <laughs> sign away your your intellectual prop whatever you know well it's just it's all the same for for the purpose of the our discussion about slavery i mean the constitution says slavery is abolished with the exception of prisoners mm. so it's just got it just we we kick the can down now so prisoners are legally allowed to be slaves well now you have a prison industrial complex that that actively tries to incarcerate minorities more than like they actually try to incarcerate based on race so now we're back to where we were yeah, you have you have here in the states you have a, 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 a insidious system which is people have tried to dismantle in which then a conser- conservative judiciary has restored and enabled, protected, and you have this. That's the other threatening part in the states is you have this uh, this sickening, uh, toxic, uh, putrid alignment between a corrupt uh, Supreme Court and judiciary um, and corporate interests. And so the idea that one, the idea that we're going to have the law catch up with technology on AI, even if it did, when it does, if the court is still aligned the way it is now, when that day comes, the odds are this is a court which that used the words domestic supply in mm-hmm. reference to human beings as its justification for overturning Roe v. Wade. Um, the words domestic supply of infants don't appear anywhere in the Constitution. And the Constitution puts no condition or qualification on the concept of you generating human beings. It, 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 there's no mandate from the United States Constitution yep. that you reproduce, period. And that's why I said that AI, AI is right now in the courts as it's going to be decided. It is going to benefit the, the mega corporations because the court has already determined that they, that that's who they favor. And there is, there a, is no precedent no. For, the, for all this. Whatever precedent is set by whatever previous court cases they oh, will matter. happily overturn it. This is a court. This is a Supreme Court. Not to go down this rabbit hole, but here we are. <laughs> this is a court which um, which disregards uh, not only common sense and the law, but jurisprudence. Mm-hmm. And so the reason we have, thankfully, the reason we have the Respect for Marriage Act just passed, uh, the president just signed it into law, is out of outright fear genuine fear that the court would overturn uh gay marriage uh is it uh, i've always mispronounced it oberfell Ag- agerfell 
Uh, um, yeah, sure. Um, Oberfell and Hods, I think, is what I've heard. But... Some, I, I, I think so. Because Justice Thomas, in his infinite wisdom, after Roe v. Wade was overturned, openly stated publicly in a violation, I think, of, of a code of conduct for the court, that he wanted to revisit this case in particular, among others, because jurisprudence be damned. Precedents be damned. Yeah. The United States law is based on precedents. The idea that you would simply go back over and overturn something that you didn't like later it undermines the entire concept of the United States law, good, bad, and indifferent. Um, so that's one reason why the Respect for Marriage Act exists. Is Well, it well, might be the biggest one. There's a lot of uh, flack from the progressive side who's, uh, who is saying that uh, three of the Supreme Court justices lied when they said that um, settled law, case law is settled law, uh, Roe Ro v. Wade is settled already, and then they overturned it. Like, yeah, yeah you don't they lied do under oath. They lied yeah. under oath, frankly. Um, Justice Thomas in particular, I, I think, it is is uh, violated his, his oath in, in many ways, not least of which is his wife is, is a... Uh, participant in a coup to overthrow the United States government. We're not going to talk about that today, because um, <laughs> we want to talk though, about. I don't really AI. know how we can avoid it because, the, like, this is what politics really is, right? It is rights. It is civil liberties. It is the way that we, as a society, govern. It's. I think. Yeah. I mean, it, it is because it's. This isn't really about AI coming online and taking over and replacing humans. It's humans weaponizing AI against other humans to displace them. Right, which is why um, I said and, from and the everywhere. outset that the cat is out of the bag. The cat is out of the bag, and you know, and that includes the writing too. There are already apps and programs um, that use AI in terms of creative writing. I think this is interesting in a couple different ways. Um, I, I think this has interesting applications for disabled writers in particular, writers who um, find it uh, for whatever their disability might be. Um, I think it has interesting practical uses. Um, there's been a lot of concern, and we also discussed this in the chat. Um, there's been a lot of discussion online about it, about the fear of, well, there's AI-generated art. The, what's the next thing is going to be the AI-generated novel? I think almost certainly. I, I don't think this novel would be any good, um, but it it that has never mattered as a practical consideration when it comes to selling books. Um, but as I said, and I think I'll just reiterate here, I, I think a, 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 it's a couple of things I, I think people should probably keep in mind. One is, is that just as publishers are using AI generated art in their covers, they will at some stage, probably very much sooner than we think, use AI generated uh, creative writing, fiction, nonfiction, yikes, as uh, to sell to the consumers. This, if this were to become prevalent, if this were to become uh, widespread, this is going to lead to the utter collapse of traditional publishing, which is already hanging on by a thread here. Um, if the publishing houses, of which there are fewer and fewer all the time, aren't going to pay authors anything if they can pay an AI bot to produce a novel. 
So there's no incentive for authors then to pursue traditional publishing deals. There's no incentive for agents to 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 get authors and spend time and money and years in some cases trying to get an author sold. That is going to lead to the utter collapse of the traditional publishing model, especially because the, they're going to lean on, as I said, they're going to lean on their the the houses. We're going to lean on their staffs to massage these books into shape well those staffs are already underpaid they're they're already being abused labor-wise they're already on strike in harper collins case the harper collins union has been on strike for a few weeks demanding a living wage harper collins has demonstrated no um inclination uh to come to the bargaining table um you would just have in that scenario, you would just have this sort of ripple effect, which undoes the entire model. Um, and that comes with it attached to that comes a lot of, a lot of different sort of things to consider. Um, I mean, we're that's already when I think you're Disney of, of it anyway. Yep. Um, not publishing, yep. but remember, remember the writer strike that happened uh, in Hollywood? Sure. And what was an effect of it? Like, uh, if I remember correctly, the TV show Lost was affected. Like, its seasons got shortened dramatically. Um, all sorts yeah. of stuff, right? They're, they're, yeah, they were all, they were all uh, impacted because no yeah. one could work. Right. Well, since then, there have been several moves to kind of ensure that writers can't strike again, not to make their lives better, but so that they can't strike. Another example that's happening now is the rail world, the rail worker strike over, over sick leave, over paid sick leave. I mean, what's happening yeah. is really sick is all you, I can say. You've had, just, you've had it and it's just it, sick. It, it, in our lifetimes, you've had a systemic attack on unions and the worker in this country. Um, and you've had it, you know, you had the advent of unions and labor laws and, and such in the early 20th century because people were being exploited. You've had since uh, the late, uh, you know, late 60s, early 70s, a systemic attack uh, by the right on workers because they don't... Uh, they don't value workers. They don't value workers' rights, and they don't believe in you as a person, even though they're the party of the working class. They're out to destroy you. Mm -hmm. You have uh, Amazon uh, is always trying to uh, suppress uh, any attempts to unionize. Walmart, Starbucks. Uh, there's always. Uh, uh, it feels like there's always something happening uh, in terms of attempts at unionization at Starbucks. Uh, that you read about here and there. Um, and what are they it, doing? It, Sorry, not the workers. What is the the corporate response? Shutting down the stores, canceling them, like getting rid of them in other ways. Well, or just outright firing uh, those people, which they routinely do at Amazon and at Starbucks, mm -hmm. which is a person organizes a strike or a union or a meeting and that person is terminated. Um, Good old at will. The 
Yeah, we're, we're, we live in an environment and we're going into an environment where, you know, where, um, and, and I just want to be completely fair because it's not just the right, which is sort of insulating these corporations. It's the left, too. There are a number of uh, bills and efforts uh, to approach antitrust uh, concerns that um, that the uh, and the Senate in particular, uh, which is controlled by the Democrats, have, have are not being advanced. Um, and so the idea that uh, corporations are in the back pocket of Republicans only is not true. Um, they're they're in everybody's back pocket, and you wonder how people go to the Senate or the House and they uh, they're uh, they're in debt or they don't have any money, and then all of a sudden they're millionaires. I don't know, but it's not just Republicans and we need to be aware of that. Um, well, I mean, to that, how did uh, Cav- Supreme Justice Kavanaugh suddenly get all of his debts paid off? Yeah. And, and, you know, like I'll just, I'll just go back to what I said earlier about this is a corrupt court. Uh, in many ways, a variety of ways, and and it's um, uh, the 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 damage that they will they will inflict will be generational because mm-hmm. uh, they're gonna the people that they that were installed are ideological and they're young and uh, they're gonna be there for a while and um, President Biden may have an opportunity in the next two years to to replace a retiree or if someone passes but um you never know and you know trump trump put three people on the court and and that was due to a variety of factors uh some of which were unforeseen yeah in one case certainly um so you know kavanaugh i don't know that i really want to talk about him today he's uh other than to say uh um, you know, I, I don't know what value a Supreme Court justice could have when, you know, when, he, you know, when his testimony before the Judiciary Committee is that he likes beer. So that's a, that's an A plus, it's, that's an A plus capital, uh, plus one legal statement. Mm-hmm. That's he likes very powerful beer. in the courts. Um, uh, uh, all-time, uh, all-time winner, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, but I, I just think, yeah, the, the whole concept is there's so many things to consider. There's so many, um, I don't think we're barely scraping at sort of all the, all the, um, sort of, uh, 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 connections to this the the subject. I, I think it's fascinating for a lot of reasons. I I think I, I'm sort of disheartened myself when I see I have seen other writers and artists uh, sort of feel like th- th- they fear. I, I think some of the fear is very justified, and some of it isn't. I when you know ar- artists are very afraid of of being sort of um, rendered obsolete that's very that's very justified fear um they're afraid of even sharing their art how do you how do you how do you advertise the fact that you're an artist who has work available by not putting it on the internet 
And then if you don't put anything on the internet, how are people going to become aware? You're, you're threatening the whole ecosystem. Writers, I'll say, writers who are like, well, I mean, you know, we're going we're gonna to be next. We're, we're going to be, I personally don't believe that. I don't, you know, I, 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 I don't think, I, create, I th the, cre the creativity in all of its forms is a product of the human spirit and this alchemy that exists within us, which is unique. And AI is never going to be able to replicate that. That's not to say that it won't try and that we won't see. Well, it doesn't um, have to. That's not the goal. As, as I was, as I'm just saying, um, the, we're going to see these things and they're going to be put out. They're going to be purchased. You're going to have people that are like, and you will have artists or critics and reviewers and, and readers who just be like, you know, they're like, you know, does it have any, does it have any worth or value the way that they, you know, we, we, we watch movies and, you know, we sort of, as technological advancements come on, uh, develop and evolve, we critique them and, you know, um, and it, it's, it's, a uh, can AI be used as a tool in art? Yes. Does it have interesting applications in art? I think so. I, I think AI is fascinating. I think what AI could be is fascinating. I think what it means for the writ large, the concept of AI, what it means for humanity in the future is fast. I'm very fascinated by as an artist. And so therefore I'm interested in its connection into art. What, you know, where do those two lines meet? What do they, what do they mean for each other? And I'm also very concerned about it, the practical reality and the practical fear of these things, um, displacing and replacing human beings and true artists and just people I talked about respeacher respeacher is a tool that is um fascinating tool that creates a, a fascinating sort of performance um it also it uh, takes out of the hands of artists um there's still some human massaging of of that performance but you Right now, sound design, visual effects is done painstakingly by by human by human beings, by hand, effectively, on a minute level. Um, how long is it until an AI program can render something like appears right now an avatar on its own? Right. So instead of just scraping the internet for an image of whatever, a, a, a painting a woman did of herself, what if it's just scraping a shot from Avatar, which is rendered completely, puts that into the computer, and then puts it back out and can now manipulate it anywhere the director just sits down? Computer, I need uh, Jake Sully to ride the thing and throw the spear. There it goes. Right now, that takes human beings hours, days, weeks, months to do, right? I read an article recently where there are AI-generated images that are wholly from scratch. That They aren't scraping oh, sure. it from the internet. They are creating it uh, from a series of averages. I think sure. Google actually has one, has a tool that does that. 
I'm sure. I mean, it's gonna, it's just gonna continue. The, you know, it's sort of the, the idea that um, this gets to like the sort of idea of like Skynet or the Supreme Intelligence or something like that. I, I don't, I don't think it, it isn't going to manifest the way that we think or fear, but you're going to get someday probably sooner rather than later in AI, which is free thinking and self-generating. Um, I don't think it'll behave the way we think it will because it, it that w we keep applying a very human-centric uh, perspective to this thing. But it, it's probably not unreasonable that we do that because it is designed by human beings. And if this thing has any values, it'll probably be informed by human values to some extent. You mean like the AI that was uh, that deemed black people should be in, kept in prison based on the human input? That one? So, exactly. So, when these things are being designed by people, they're designed by people who don't, like, who <laughs> don't consider people people. And so if you have a racist or a, or an anti-Semite or a, a chauvinist or what have you creating these things, it will embody those values to the extent that it exhibits values at all. Well, so, the worst but part right is now, then people look at the AI and go, well, see, this is computers. This is completely value neutral. Computers don't understand human values. They just understand well, ones and zeros. Well, it's like and the law. And it's being racist, uh, so therefore racism must be true, which is so people, like the, the worst take possible. People say justice is blind, but justice is rendered by people in power. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, it's, the same thing, it's the same thing with these tools with AI. You're going to have... One of the most fascinating things and sort of the concept of AI and science fiction is this, you know, we we have all these examples of, of machines, androids, human or AIs that want to be human in fiction. And then you have in the last, you know, few years, this idea, which is equally fascinating, which I was talking about earlier, which is it's a very vain concept and it's a very human centric concept to think that these things would aspire to be us but i think for me you have it's a natural starting place for these nascent uh, intelligences that that they when they develop consciousness their model will be us because they will be designed by us right and so I think it's not unreasonable for their early ambition to, as ours was, our early ambition was to see ourselves in our maker. So that's to be expected, I think. And that's fascinating from a creative standpoint. That can go interesting places. What is on the other side of that when that AI then, as we are now, um, when we're coming out of this, um, you know, our concept of ourselves and who we are who we were and who we will be is evolving that will happen for them too um but what's on the other side of that so i think both things are true in the creative aspect of it is that it, it is very human-centric it is very vain to assume that these things will behave or think as we do 
we shouldn't, but at the same time, they're designed by us mm-hmm. and they will, ref- they will reflect our thought, action and value. And, um, to some extent, and then after that, it's completely unpredictable because you don't know what will happen. Um, but I think it's fascinating, um, you know, uh, a subject to explore and we're living in a science fiction novel, you know, where, you know, it's every day is another (laughs) just you're just sort of strapped in and you're it doesn't feel like anyone's at the wheel and you're just you're just you're just crashing through all these dystopian science fiction things you know um you know we, we have and it and it's and it's schizophrenic you have the development of AI, you have the development, uh, finally, of fusion energy, you have uh, the very Orwellian uh, behavior uh, of Elon Musk at, at Twitter and the like. Um, and we're all just people and we're all just being batted around inside this thing that we don't understand. And we're all we're, wish we have, it was a simulation. Yeah, we, we just we just it doesn't you feel helpless and you feel like you don't have any agency or control and that's terrifying. So I get I get you know some people sort of like oh my god you know like you know the fear and the uncertainty is very real. Um, but I I, I you know I also don't I, I also think it's it's not going to be entirely what we fear. But um, we also shouldn't be surprised at some things <laughs> when they happen, um, because people are people, and, and you know, um, this is all we, we've seen this movie before. It's just in a different form. That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at Shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye. <laughs>